0: You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. It is episode number 90, Friday, March 25th, 2022. How are you doing, Christina Dennis? I'm doing well. How are you, Damon Frank? I am doing great. listen uh it's Friday again and Friday is. is Friday is my favorite show because we always it's always jam-packed worth of information and actually we have a good time. We talk about you know our week in sobriety, what we learned, what happened on all the recovered life shows and all the recovered life discussions. And I'm really looking forward to this show because we've got two really great segments ahead.
1: We sure do. And before we start, I want to let everybody know that Recovered Life Show, this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. So to continue to support us, please like, share, and follow. Also go visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can make a donation. which helps us to help others or join the network. That's info.recoveredlife.us.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for mentioning that, Christina, because it's really people that are listening just like you. If you're watching this show live or in a replay or you're listening to this on your favorite uh, podcast player, it is really people like you who keep this show going. Hey, let's head right into it, Christina, because everybody is thinking about spring break, is on spring break, about ready to go on spring break. And that is the big topic right now, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. Being a parent, we're never on spring break. So uh, that's where I go. What am I going to do all week with my child? But I know that lots of people are excited about it. And uh, I just know someday it'll come. You don't have a spring break either, though, right?
0: No, well, you know what we kind of do, but it's kind of jam-packed with events and things that we have to do. So, I feel like it's just a whirlwind, right? My life is already on spring break right now, which oh. is which is great, but it's uh it it's it like it's, you know, it's really this week it started for us, but you know, it's just like event after event after event. And I was mm-hmm. talking with you and I said, "You know, I remember as a teenager and young adult, uh especially when I was drinking, that spring break was the kickoff to basically weeks of drinking.
1: Debauchery, right? Debauchery. That's what I thought of. (laughs) Absolutely. These kids these days are crazy, but I'll tell you, um, I never really experienced a spring break because I worked, you know, the entire week of spring break. I always had a job in school, but I can tell you, I had lots of friends who really looked forward to it. And it literally was a week to just go wild. So I, um, I kind of feel a little resentful. <laughs> that okay. Well, I that. made it
0: up for you. I, I made it up <laughs> for you. So I enjoyed spring break as an as an early 20s uh, person and late teen a lot. I really, I really always look forward to it because it was kind of that break, right? You kind of get a glimpse of what summer could be like. Right. But one of the things that we we're talking about last week was all of these holidays mm-hmm. that really mm-hmm. are drinking is, you know, we went through St. Patrick's Day. We did those, which we talked about. You know, they're big drinking times. They are. they are. Spring break really is known for it. But this is what is amazing. I found this uh, article on the influencer.com. I couldn't uh, believe it. Uh, it was great. And a, a, a man named Shepard Price wrote it. So we want to give him credit. But basically the headline is, and I couldn't believe this when I read it. thought it was a misprint. Half of Illinois students plan to take a sober spring break.
1: That's beautiful. I was shocked when you sent it to me. I thought, wow, you know, there is so much more awareness about being safe, uh, being careful around it. It's not like these half of the student population thinks that they have a drinking problem, but they've made a decision not to include alcohol in their break. And I applaud it. So much, so many safety issues are attached to drinking that we don't think about. Usually it's just driving. But I love the fact that they are aware of it and they're even taking, they're even doing the poll.
0: They are. And, you know, we're going to dive into this article a little bit because I think if you're in recovery, I think this should put a little smile on your face. Because, look, I, if, if you're like me, Christina, and look, there's, there's going to be people who don't like this. And I know and I get I get calls and emails and comments Uh-oh. on the threads and stuff. Sometimes when I say stuff that's not politically incorrect, so but I'm the guy who just says it, look, but I, I'm the one i'm I'm the kind of guy who, just because I had to stop drinking, I don't believe everybody has to stop drinking, right? Like, and I don't believe everybody's an alcoholic. I don't believe everybody who maybe has gotten drunk or has had consequences or is an alcoholic, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that really believe that. And I know sometimes I'm in the minority. Right. Uh, With that. But that's where I I firmly believe. And I do believe that, you know, look, kids, especially kids, because we're talking about spring break. We're talking late teens, early 20s, going out on spring break and indulging in alcohol. And, you know, I do believe the awareness is important, but I don't believe that everybody that goes and does that's an an alcoholic
1: no no damon of course not but absolutely is there a safety issue attached to it i mean i think in the article it talked about they had to uh put an 8 pm curfew last year because it was kind of wild and you know unknowingly you could go out and and really get hurt in your first real big drinking binge so i think binge drinking needs to be talked about as as what it is which is really dangerous
0: Yes, and I, you know, for those of you that are uh, listening on the podcast, I actually brought this up on the screen so the people that are listening live can actually see this. Um, Yeah, and you know, I'll tell you something that I did not like about this article, Christina, is that it really talks about law enforcement, law enforcement, law enforcement. We're going to bring out people to stop the drinking, and and I find this is my own personal opinion on this. Okay. But I find that that does not work. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that the, you know, just for my own personal experience of being a college kid that was already showing signs of having problems, right, with mm-hmm. this, I find that it actually, uh, I actually think it hurts. Because what it does is it, it it makes it go underground. And it says here, it says, and I'm just going to quote this, it says, the Miami Beach police brought in SWAT teams to disperse crowds and the city ordered an emergency APM curfew last year, right? Cause Miami oh. has a huge problem with this, with the beaches.
1: Right. Right. And I think that you're right in that Damon, because anytime you tell a group or a mob mentality that they're not allowed to do something, they're going to want to do it any more, you know that much more. And I do think that you're right about them driving it underground. You know the the problem with this kind of atmosphere is that overserving is a huge part of it. The fact that that people are bringing alcohol into their hotel rooms, you know, drugs, all the different things. It's got to come from the student population. That it's hey, maybe not the coolest thing to get sick and be drunk for 90% of your vacation. And I love the, the you know, I love Recovered Life for that. And I love the Sober Curious movement. And I think that it's, you know, also kind of a marketing ploy in some ways. I mean, there was an entire, you know, television series, Spring Break, uh, off of, I mean, we're going to date ourselves now, MTV. But I remember that. And there was, it was like debauchery is the only way that I could describe that atmosphere. And I think people are starting to pull back a little bit from that.
0: Well, I, I, I'll i tell you that the thing that is interesting is that not only are people pulling back from it, but I think that the new generation of kids, and it says here, and I, I want to quote this, it says, research shows that Generation Z drinks less than their parents' generation yeah. at the same age, perhaps due to growing health and wellness movement. Right. Okay. So I, I believe that that's a really, really good sign. Because if if people are drinking less because they're like, hey, you know, it just doesn't work for me. Right. I think it does. I really do think it does. It, it, it really is like a, a good educational vehicle because maybe they've tried drugs. They've tried alcohol. It doesn't work for them. They feel that they can walk away. They right. They really feel that they can walk away from it. And I don't remember that in the 80s and 90s. I just you I know. don't remember that.
1: No, I, I don't think it was around, you know, and I might be aging myself, but that party lifestyle, we didn't have kind of the awareness that they have now with, you know, health and wellness, like you said, and there wasn't, at least for me, there wasn't that much of an autonomy, you know, for me making my own decisions, you know, this was considered fun. So this is what I did. And for people like me who could never drink normally, it was very, very dangerous. I can tell you there have been many times in my past that I'm surprised I didn't lose my life. And part of that is over serving. Part of that is is the whole population thinking that's funny. You know, people are not considering alcohol as dangerous as it is. And then, of course, you add drugs into the mix. And we've done stories on this show about the new Lethal drugs that are out there that you may be, that may be your last time. And I don't want to seem like I'm a granny here, but I have a 17 year old son and I worry for him that he'll get caught up in peer pressure and want to do it. So I'm sure glad that 50% of those kids are like, yeah, I'd rather have a hike tomorrow. You know, I'd rather go to the pool, something like that. Well,
0: I do. I do think what's amazing about this is that, you know, by working with especially, you know, younger men. that that are in recovery i know for a fact that in colleges now even in the greek system because this is where you know i remember a fraternity or sorority um i was a member of fraternity and drinking was very encouraged you know it just was not everybody drank excessively but there were a lot of people that did and a lot of people got in trouble right like there was Mm -hmm. there was they started to kick in because people started dying on college campuses and you know look as a parent of a teen, Christina, both you and I are a parent of a teen. We look at these headlines that right. we see, like on our tablet in the morning. We go, "Oh, that's absolutely horrible!" Like, right. could you imagine those parents that are going through that? But at the same time, as the kid who was going through that, even though it was decades ago, it's interesting because the emphasis was on "Don't get in legal trouble." Right now, it's you know what? Hey, d- this doesn't work for me it's and let's let's look at the health implications of it
1: right and even you know i was a tips uh trainer for 20 years where i went into establishments and trained waiters and servers on how not to over serve, how to identify and our knowledge of what actual intoxication is it's illegal to serve alcohol to an intoxicated person but most people don't know that most people only attach it to driving they don't think about you know 80% of pedestrians violence everything that is attached to intoxication and I like the fact that we are now focusing on intoxication is Needs to be the you know the oopsie every once in a while, not the level that the entire crowd is at. And if you've ever managed anything like, <laughs> like a spring break, I remember in the hotel business I had a New Year's Eve rave, and it didn't look like a rave when we booked it, but it sure turned into a rave. And I remember begging you know officials to stay because there was no way to manage it that. And that was you know 25 years ago. So I'm grateful that we're looking at it like this.
0: Well, it is shocking when you look at these numbers and I put them on screen. It says in, in this report in the influencer.com by Shepard Price that sober spring break, 47 percent of those who are planning to go on spring break this year reported they will not imbibe any alcohol with 44 wow. percent of students saying they will be practicing sobriety. That is Easy. almost half, Christina, right. of the people that are practicing sobriety.
1: I don't know how many of them are going to Miami, but you know, I think that that's <laughs> yes. a really good idea, and I'm just so proud of Generation Z. You know, even ones who find out that it's early, you know, they find out early like I did that drinking is a problem. They seem to be so much more open to it. I'm very, very proud of them.
0: Well, I do believe, and I think, you know, one of the things that this that this focuses on is that, and we've seen this. Like, you know, I talk a lot about on the show about Los Angeles and the homeless problem, uh, which is. Horrible here, mm-hmm. and you know, I know you're in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's equally as bad there, and in Riverside counties and all the counties. And this is a mental health issue. Uh, this is a physical medical issue as well, but it's also a it's also a mental health issue. It's not a willpower issue when we have this many no. people. And I see this changing from you know what, like, why don't you just get your stuff together, just get your crap together, right? To Uh, to, Hey, maybe there's some sort of mental health concerns going on that there's an, there's an, there's an underlining thinking issue. And in most cases, I would say a possible medical issue going on with a lot of people who are, uh, frequently, uh, abusing alcohol and drugs
1: we don't have the facilities to help people detox and still the number one death happens with alcohol detox. And it's just kind of like a little dirty secret. You know, I, I have to say, you know, because I have a son who has high support needs, I am very familiar with the mental health systems and we are wanting in that area in this country. And I hope that with some of the conversations that we're having here with the news and the way that it's being you know, told the story is a little different. You're right. You can't tell somebody just to stop drinking, you know, regardless they need, it is a medical issue and you really do need to be supervised by a medical professional and we don't have enough.
0: Yes. Yeah. And shout out to the Gen Z's. I have Mm -hmm. to say that, you know, because uh, I'm on record. Sometimes I give the Gen Z's and the millennials a lot of crap. I really do. I give them a lot of crap because some of the, some of the stuff is, uh, you know, I find absolutely ridiculous, you know, and, um, you know, fueling like a <laughs> lot of these generations, you know, we see this, we, we see this a lot, like, uh, the ignoring of, uh, of a lot of things that might be important, but with, with this, the, the mental health thing, I think they're onto it. I mean, I have to tell you of just having a daughter who's a teenager, mm-hmm. they're more aware of mental health issues and they what's are. going on in sobriety, you know, in society. And they don't have the stigma that no. they do. If somebody has anxiety or uh, addiction issue, they don't have that same stigma that I grew up with. That was a stigma. You did not want to come out and say, you know, uh, I, I certainly would not have. And I, and I'm open about this on that. Like, right. I, I felt I had to hide it a lot, you know, and I love this new sober curious thing. Um, And also being a little bit older, I'm a lot more mature. True. You know, that's part of it. So I don't give a crap anymore. So part so okay. a little bit of a, salty okay. dog, so i okay. don't really, you know care as <laughs> much <laughs> anymore but it's true but it's true like you know the the gen z is really opening it up a lot to have these hard discussions
1: I've, I learned a lot from the younger generation and I completely agree with you, Damon, when, when I was struggling after I quit drinking, which is something we talk about a lot, you know, some of the problems really show up after you, you know, lose your coping mechanism. For me, it was alcohol. I remember my therapist asking me which diagnosis I was more comfortable with, anxiety or depression. And I was confused. And she said, well, some people really struggle you know, for maybe jobs. It was the first time I had thought that there should be some kind of shame around it. So I, I, it was live and well, especially when I got sober. We didn't talk about that stuff, not what we do.
0: Well, yeah, because really society in a lot of cases rev, uh, rewards people who withhold and lie about it. Right. 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 It, and And they don't reward people who are honest and are working on it. And so that true. that's one of the that's one of the things that I think is starting to change. And that's why I really I really applaud this. This has been a really uh great uh segment, uh, Christina, because I the whole sober spring break thing. And I and I have to say too, um, you know, before we end this segment, the segment, the whole thing about the Greek system and about colleges and about uh this pushing alcohol and this this uh this whole philosophy that anything that goes along with the Greek system really is just about abusing alcohol, I think is changing quite a bit. Um, and I, and I know people that are involved in that, that are sober in fraternities and uh, sororities. So I want to throw this out. If anybody's listening to that, shout out to you guys. And there are some real sober warriors that are out there on these campuses that are changing the whole narrative and going in and saying, look, we know that maybe, 75% 75% of our fraternity or sorority might drink and might drink excessively. But let's put in some barriers there to right. make sure that we're not in a position uh, where somebody is going to overdose or uh, get alcohol poisoning, that we can identify this. And there's real work going on there. And and okay. I applaud that. I, I really do.
1: I do too. I do too. Let's keep everybody safe, you know, and hopefully we can learn new things.
0: Yes, yes, because it's really all about uh, learning new things and growing and growing in our recovery. Well, guys, before we uh, move on to the next segment here, I've got to tell you about uh, Can't Say No, which is a free e-course that we have got on Recovered Life. And Christina, I just have to say shout out to you uh, because you really were the one who thought about this because so many times we hear uh, in the recovered life community that people are struggling with codependency, but they don't really know what it is. Right. 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 Absolutely. They just don't, they just don't, they're struggling and they're like, well, what is it? I don't understand about boundaries and boundaries I think is the most, uh, unmisunderstood uh, thing in recovery. It's like how to set them. What are they? What are healthy boundaries? What are not? You created Can't Say No, which is a free three-day challenge where you get a video from Christina every day. The the amazing thing about this is it's totally free. So if you're out there listening and you are an overdoer, you're always constantly overdoing stuff. You're always a person that's over-volunteering. You're the person bringing the cupcakes to the soccer game always. You're always the go-to person. What you have to do is you have to go to info.recoveredlife.us and you need to you need to join that 3-day challenge. It's amazing. It's 100% free and you can access it access it at info.recoveredlife.us. That's info.recoveredlife.us. So Christina, after the break, guess what? We're going to have TGIF sober. So hold tight guys. All we right. Got, uh, we'll be back in just a few seconds. listening to The Recovered Life Show.
1: All right. We are back. Thank you very much, those of you who've been holding on for TGIF sober. Just before we start this segment, I want to let everybody know that it's being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Make sure to like, share, and follow, and leave us a comment so that we can cover content that you're interested in, or if you disagree with us, Promise our feelings won't get hurt. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can make a donation that will help us continue to help others or join the network. That's info.recoveredlife.us.
0: Thank you so much, Christina, for mentioning this. You know, this is my favorite segment of the whole yes. week. TGIF sober. I can't, you know, I always have the most fun on this because we really can talk openly about what happened in not only our week in recovery, but also what happened on the Recovered Life Network, all the different shows we have. And thank you so much for mentioning about uh, how people can uh, like, follow, and share us and go to Recovered Life because it's just really an amazing resource. And many people don't know. They might be listening to the show and they get in the car on the way to work. On the way to school whatever but they don't they don't know that we've got also recovered life discussions that are going on in our clubhouse community four days a week
1: right right and there's such good discussions And i know we download the content on the recovery life network but when i look back on fridays i realize how much i poured into my program by being present in those conversations and the discussions and how much i actually learned and that's one of my favorite parts about doing tgif sober because i remember to look back and go, wow, wow, I really upped my game and I improved my life.
0: So, and I would, I would applaud everybody to, you know, to also look at their, you know, take this segment to look at your week in recovery. It's like, what happened? What did you work on? What did you do?
1: Right, right. And, and how did you start building your best recovered life? Because when we get stagnant, that's when things can go backwards. We know that our disease is a powerful, cunning, baffling and powerful disease that's over there in the corners doing pushups. And we weren't meant to get sober to have a dull life. There is so much out there for each and every one of us. And one of the ways that we do that is by being in community and discussing these higher thoughts.
0: Yes, yes, and and the discussion is what's very interesting. Now I'll tell you something what has changed. I I am I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a little admission here about my own program about what's going okay. on with me and about my own recovered life. Um one of the things that's been interesting with doing the show and doing the discussions and all this this these interviews and content experts that we're talking to all the time is what it's done for me is it's it's made me up my game a lot right because i you know i have to admit that you know when you get to a certain place in recovery after you have you know some time what happens a lot of the times is that you can kind of fade into the background true. you know especially through 12 steps because you don't really have to participate in your own recovery sometimes as much as you're participating in other people's recovery now so you know when people say this christian well participating in other people's recovery is service. So you are doing, yes, yes, that's true. I'm not going to, of course it is, but there are issues in your own recovery that you also want to look at. And one of the things is, even if I'm passive, even if I don't talk during these recovered life discussions that we have, what I'm finding is, is it plants a seed in my mind. Right. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to think about, like, I never really thought about it like that. And I don't always agree with everything. You know, I don't always agree with everything, but, I know. um, <laughs> But that's good. That's good. Like, I like that. I don't agree with everything because it makes me question. And there's a lot of things that I didn't like, uh, Mm -hmm. like unmanageability that I've learned to say, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's present in my life.
1: That is a perfect example of something that I learned on Tuesday in our neuro room. You we were still doing the Atlas of the Heart by Bernay And what she talked about at the beginning was so helpful because it talked about the fact that you can have two opposing thoughts at one time right? So anybody out there who's feeling like they're crazy because they're happy and they're sad, that is a very, very human experience. And she said, don't shy away from that sharing that, right? And this is one of the things that we do in the Recovered Life discussions. We talk honestly about how we feel and not just the party line about, you know, I'm so grateful for my sobriety. I am, of course, incredibly grateful for my sobriety. But I will tell you that being sober the last 25 years, there's been a lot of things to overcome. There's been a lot of times where I have been angry and still grateful, and I have been sad and maybe a little scared. And what she shares about is how oversimplifying our feelings is actually doing us a disservice. And there's a need, a real need in each one of us to kind of put it in its box, right? This is how I feel about something, period. You know, It's not this or that, it's this. And she was sharing not only is that impossible it's not nearly as engaging that it's actually quite good for us to have some confusion around our thoughts and our feelings and they actually allow us to one be part of a community and when we're teaching even even saying something like i used to believe this but now i'm not 100% sure that tension is actually really really good for communication for connection for being a part of and what you just shared about not always you know agreeing with something is actually really a positive damon frank
0: yeah no i do you know i i do definitely agree with you on that and i I, what I found interesting about that room, Christina, is that I'd heard this a long time ago. Is that you know, emotional maturity is defined by being able to hold two conflicting thoughts in your mind without having a a huge emotional reaction. Mm. That you can just look at the thoughts and say, you know, and I'll use this as an example of of uh, you know, somebody says uh, doing this behavior is good and doing this behavior is bad, and you might believe it's one or the other firmly, right? right? But you're able to stay in neutrality and look at both of them without freaking out, right? right? And I think that one of the gifts that I think is not credited to 12 steps as much as it should is 12 steps is a huge process of getting us to this place of neutrality where we don't necessarily jump on every emotion that emerges, every feeling doesn't dictate our life. We're able to sit back And watch these feelings come and choose what we're going to pick out and what we're going to look at without freaking out and melting down.
1: That is, that is I wholeheartedly agree with you, Damon. That is exactly true, where we can observe ourselves, where we can start to be the thinker of our thoughts, not our thoughts. When I first got sober, I really believed that every thought I had was the truth, and it was exactly how it is. And one thing that 12 Steps did for me was it allowed me to create some distance between my feelings and what I needed to do next. And that allowed me to make better informed decisions. You know, our belief systems are installed at such an early age that some of us don't even, well, not some of us, most of us don't even recognize, well, maybe that's an outdated belief system. Who said that, you know, who said who's perfect? We have this conversation all the time in Recovered Life about what really is perfection, who has decided that was perfect. And once you can look back and say, oh, I'm the one who's saying this is going to be perfect. I'm the one who's deciding what is perfect. Therefore, I can change my mind. And I love all of the growth that comes out of the discussions.
0: Well, you know, George is, uh, George, Recovering Life Strategist, George Schneider, who's been on the show several times and I can't wait to have him back. We're going to have him back in the next couple of weeks and we're friends with him, you know, and, and one of the things is he always says, says who, you know, like when self doubt comes in, like, you know, I can't do that. I can't go for that promotion. I can't open that business. I can't go back and get my degree. And he's like, who says that? Like, and when you start to, when you start to narrow it down, who is this talker? And this Mm -hmm. is, you know, and I have to tell you that like, thinking back now, I'm like, it blows my mind. I didn't appreciate the time when I first did 12 steps. And when I first got into recovery, Um, the power that you actually have to be able to question your thoughts without freaking out. Because I could never question my thoughts when I was in active addiction, because I just, they were too overwhelming. I had to just I had to blot them out. To be honest with you, I was just—I'm such a fast thinker, anyway. And you know that I am, right? Like I do. I think, 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 think. I'm very fast. I'm a very fast thinker, and it's too much. But just the ability and what you're talking about in this Tuesday room, like I have to say, it's just a huge gift just to be able. I'm not perfect at it. I Mm -hmm. still jump. I'm still like a trained monkey on certain things. (laughs) Push my button and I'll go. Right? Like justice. Like if I think there's been an injustice done. Yes. I, I freak It's it ridiculous. Like I laugh at it now, but like now I'm <laughs> at post this like, oh, that's just a total overreaction.
1: So true. So true. And, and, you know, being able to share that in a group of like-minded people in the Recovered Life community, I hope helps people, one, to quit judging themselves for maybe having dual reactions. I think that there's a lot of hope when we first get sober that we're going to have the answers. We're going to have black and white thinking. It either moves me toward my goal or away from my goal. And some of that is true, but that doesn't necessarily reflect how we feel. So we can move toward our goal without our feelings matching, we can have accountability, we can have uh, a certain, uh, you know, focus on self care and letting things unfold as they should. But if you're going crazy, if your nervous system is, you know, off the charts, then it's going to be really, really hard to do so.
0: Well, that's something I got from you with this whole, with, with your Wednesday room about codependency, which yes. you always know, I always give you credit. Uh, I, I always say, you know, Christina Dennis introduced me to uh, that codependency is the black belt of uh, uh, alcohol recovery. It um, is. It is. It really is. It, it Because it, it ties in that and ACOA, right? Like that whole, t- I'm just not talking about it as an organization. I'm talking about it more as just a topic right. of- of trauma or being raised in an alcoholic or dysfunctional family, and then getting into addiction. And then the, the, what we would call the picker gene, right. Right. How you pick, how you pick people to come into your life and who you have these relationships with. It's such a powerful room that you do on Wednesdays because you really dive into the meat and potatoes of that.
1: Well, codependency is is very misunderstood. And the name of the room is Setting Healthy Boundaries, which maybe is a little easier for people to understand. You know, it ties back into can't say no. But this week we talked about the two different types of codependence that there are. And I don't think people know that, but it would explain why a lot of people will, f- will be shocked when they found out, find out that they're actually in a codependent relationship. And I can tell you, I've never met an alcoholic who isn't codependent. I've met codependents. Who aren't alcoholics, but never the reverse. And there's an active and a passive codependent. A passive codependent is what we really look at most often as a codependent. They say yes, they're very, you know, they're afraid of confrontation, they avoid hard subjects, they do whatever they can do. Let's say they're attached to a narcissistic like person, um, but a Active codependent is going to be a lot more like a leader. And people who are leaders, like I was a leader in my corporate organizations, uh, are often surprised when they really peel back and understand why they're doing the actions they're doing. You know, whose actual dreams are they trying to build? They're trying to control their partner, trying to get their partner well, but they're not meek and they're not mild. And, you know, and sometimes they can even look a little narcissistic, but underneath it the motive is always to take care of themselves by controlling somebody else and you know it takes a little bit of time to get around to it but it is so worth it you know the interdependent relationship needs to be talked about a lot more you know because the other side of it which is you can't have any expectations my programs here your programs there i don't think that works either and you know the goal is always interdependent because a relationship is like a third entity you know it is not he or her or her her whatever you you know whatever works for you but it's a them that needs to be addressed and within that you know code you know active codependency or passive codependency doesn't lead us to actually build our own lives and yeah, then yeah. We, you know, we end up being resentful.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I, I love how you're putting this like passive and aggressive thing, because I think we believe that codependency is one way, the big rescuer, right? right? The person that's going to come and say, no, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like the TV version of the sitcom version of the codependent. But that's not necessarily true. Like one of the things that I got from that room is that it it is rarely like that. It's usually a combination, right, isn't it, between these things going back and forth, somebody's aggressive and they're passive. But I would say this. It was interesting because when I started to identify codependency, it it was in the work world. And we've had long talks about this, is in the work world. Is when you really start to notice it. This over volunteering, always the person who's getting the projects, always the person's, no, I'll organize it, right? You mm-hmm. see this to pop up. And because there's financial motivation there, it shifts between a passive and an aggressive constantly. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And it's not genderized. That's the other thing. A lot of, you know, I have a lot of male clients that would not have called themselves a codependent until we started talking about, well, what is the motive behind what you do? Are you being everybody's friend, but you're actually in a supervisor's position and you need to maybe fire somebody, but you're still, you know, doing whatever you can to help them stick it out? Or you are not setting boundaries with people at work, higher ups, lower, you know, people who work for you. It is often so sneaky that people have no idea. They see themselves one way, but then they're miserable because they're putting everybody
0: else's needs ahead of their own. You're so right. You're so right. And I, I would, um, I would say that this pops up, you know, I think where, where people have long-term sobriety This pops up in work a lot of times before it will pop up in their personal relationships even because you're around the work environment so much. You're around clients or coworkers all the time. What's one of the other, what was the big takeaway that you got from some of the shares and some of the stuff? What was your big aha moment uh, in that room from this week, from that discussion?
1: That... That you always have to check your motives that you always have to and we spend so much time looking at the other person wanting them to fulfill our dreams when if we took the energy back and started focusing on our own dreams that other person would just be a bonus they wouldn't be yes. held responsible. And you know, this happens a lot in parent-child relationships where a child is expected to soar and do greater than any other child before because that's what makes mommy feel good. And that that is one thing to point out. Codependency starts very young. It's modeled to us and the whole entire world <laughs> is based on it. So, it's not just a recovery problem, but it sure is rampant in the recovery world.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it really is. I, you know, and if you guys have not joined that clubhouse discussion, you can definitely do that. If you go to recoveredlife.us, if you're a member, which you can be totally for free, we repost the replays of that. And right. I know that a lot of people feel, uh, they don't want to jump right into a discussion because they don't want to speak. You don't have to worry about that because yep. you can jump right in not speak at all. Just sit and listen or listen to on the replay. If you feel more secure doing that. Um, well, I have to tell you the, our unstuck room this week was amazing. It was, I, I, I love this room because, you know, I like doing the, you know, my whole coaching jam is this whole high performance in yes. recovery P- Are people that are looking to get sober, right? Make that transition into it. And so many people feel stuck in recovery they do. They um, do. and stuck is a feeling, not a fact.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, which I always say stuck is a feeling, not a fact. You might not be stuck. You might just not have, you just might not be seeing the work. You might not be at the harvest mode yet.
1: Yes. You might still be
0: in the planting and watering mode and tending mode.
1: Right. Well, and if you're not going backwards, there is progress that's being made. That's the thing that we learn about the progress principle. And, you know, if you don't step back and look at what you've done so far, you can feel stuck even when you're not stuck. So I totally agree with that, Damon.
0: Well, every week I always bring into the discussion a topic. And let me tell you where a lot of people are stuck. And I'm stuck with this too. And I have to tell you, this has been an ongoing stuff. Yes, which is the whole topic was, is your diet holding you back? And Oops. I have to say, uh, <sighs> there's a lot of a lot of comments on this. And I would say a large majority of people do feel that their diet is holding them back from their best recovered life.
1: So true, hiding out in the sugar, right? And, you know, when I first got sober, they were given sugar out, you know, cookies and coffee. So, caffeine, nicotine, all of those things. And there comes a point in time, I think, in everybody's recovery that if you're going to go deeper, you're going to have to let go of that sugar security blanket. And I've had lots of periods without sugar, and I thought I was going to die, like literally laying on the floor (laughs) in the dining room and then looking back to the two weeks prior, not remembering any. Thing about it, that's how massive of uh, you know, that's how massive it affects our recovery. And so, I know you said it. It's, I cringe because sometimes that feels kind of like cruel. But truthfully, it affected me. I cannot lie. And I work a better program. I am more sober when I abstain from sugar.
0: Yes. And more emotionally sober too. And this is the thing. And I I have to tell you, it's not only sugar. So I just want to throw this out there. I don't want people turning, you know, turning this off and hitting the stop button because it's not only sugar. It was, it was all different types of food, you know, that, that doesn't work for people anymore. But I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this with the sugar. You know, I have for decades been at the forefront of saying, Hey, sugar, there's a link there's a link, Mm -hmm. there's a link. And I'm just throwing this out there. I am not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but I'm also not, I'm, but I am an observer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I have observed, you know, just by, you know, doing service work at, you know, rehabs and, you know, places like that, that sugar takes people out and Mm -hmm. almost so much so that there are certain people that believe, and this is not a fact and it's not a, medical diagnosis of for anybody, but some people think that alcoholism is diabetes three, that it actually wow. is a sugar disorder. That, that phenomenon of craving that thing that's coming up is actually a nutritional thing. That's being keyed off. Um Come in. Of course, people are hypoglycemic. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am too, but too. I was hypoglycemic after I stopped drinking and before mm. I drank. Right. So, so there's something that's going on with sugar and we know that sugar might not be safe when you're trying to do a lot of critical thinking.
1: Right, right. It clouds your thinking. It absolutely does. And it's attached to anger. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen. And I still partake in sugar every once in a while. But I can tell you, I have the phenomena of craving once I ingest it. I can feel it being sober for long term. I can absolutely feel it with certain things. And, you know, sometimes your cheeks will get really red, which is a fair, you know, is a phenon reaction. And so there are clues in our food. You know, 90% of our serotonin comes from our gut, I believe. And, you know, that's why they call it the second brain. So, of course, if you're filling it up and you're not making self-loving choices, it's going to affect your thinking.
0: Well, I have to get, you know, I want to get uh, a nutritionist on the show. We're going to do that for a weekly segment, good. or at least a monthly segment where we're going to be talking about nutrition and recovery. We know there's this, this gut brain connection. Yes. I'm going to tell you, I did share in the room, Christina, a health thing that I had uh, four years ago where uh, I had tried everything to, to cure this thing and nothing worked. And one of the things that I had to do was to literally give up on sugar completely,
1: mm-hmm. and I
0: remember being in the kitchen and and saying uh, after about two weeks of this of not having any sugar. I mean, I'm talking like I didn't have anything that had sugar in it, like right. ketchup or anything. Like yeah, I was, exactly. I really went hardcore into this, right? Because I was desperate. I had to like to, and so the thing is that was interesting is I remember sitting there. And, and, and I said to myself, I had this epiphany. I said, I feel so good right now. Mm. I can think mm-hmm. I feel good. Right. Like, and it was a good, a level of good that I had not felt right in a long, it was a, it was so good. That I knew that I knew that that like wow this is odd like I really am like right on it like I feel like I could do brain surgery right now wow I feel wow. this clear right like and, <laughs> and, and and that was shocking to me because I was like oh, you know what this has a lot to do with sugar for me
1: I, I I
0: I'm somebody probably I'm definitely somebody who can't partake in alcohol but I'm definitely probably somebody who shouldn't really partake in sugar at all
1: right right and and that is harder you know all the places that it's hidden and the fact that it is so mainstream and and i you know i still remember being told to go to sugar you know when i quit drinking oh yeah go ahead and go to sugar and maybe there's some some wisdom behind that making your road a little wide and reduction of harm but i can tell you i felt the exact same way when i took off of a sugar diet six years ago and the first couple of weeks were really, really difficult. But after that I felt so good. And so perhaps our nutritionists, we could do a challenge on recovered life. Yeah,
0: yeah we definitely gonna do that. And if there's any sober nutritionists out there, give us a ring. Definitely hit us up on Recovered Life and reach out to us because we definitely want to have a conversation with you about it. You know, this has been a great uh segment, Christina. And you know, the last thing I'm gonna say about the unstuck room. The thing that I like about it is I like pushing, myself. I'm a full out guy. Like, you know, I am, mm-hmm. like I, I like to do things full out. God did not get me sober. I did not do this whole thing to just, uh, you know, hang tight and do nothing. Right. Uh, so I'm a full out kind of guy. But one of the things that I'm learning is that the diet, one of the things that I got from this is like, okay, I got to incorporate more diet and I have to incorporate more, uh, meditation Mm -hmm. into it and you know lane Lane kennedy uh who has we've done a lot of episodes with is is great with the whole meditation and mindfulness stuff and you know she was telling me she's like damon you gotta like dude like you you could really get to the next level if you were really playful out with the meditation thing and i think that that's the challenge here this is where i'm learning from recovered life is that you know the sober thing and then the productive citizen thing that's only one part of this whole thing there's a whole level to recovery where you play full out and really do the high performance jam
1: that is true and and obtaining peace and happiness and making sure that your relationships are and making sure that your relationships are in check is also an area that we need to monitor for
0: success you know yes we yes. do and that's what and that's what this is all about guys so we're gonna wrap up episode 90 fr- Friday March 25th 2022 Christina. This episode is in the can. We're going to see everybody back on Monday morning at 8 a.m.
1: Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye, Damon. Bye,
0: guys. Have a great weekend.
1: Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.